Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services, for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey guys, welcome to an episode that is going to be a little bit special on Surviving to Thriving, where we're going to be featuring myself, Zach, instead of Heather. Um, I'm going to be guiding a conversation in a series of conversations we're going to be having with experts in the industry of domestic violence, uh, mental resilience, mindset. Um, We're going to be looking at what is causing the male perspective of domestic violence? You know, instead of treating the the symptom of the abuse, we want to look more at the problem that is more of the male mindset of why there's that need to lash out. And to start off this conversation, this series of conversations, we have Dr. Kurt Jasper with us today. Dr. Kurt Jasper, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much, Zach. Appreciate you, man. Glad to be here. And to give our audience just a little bit about you, you are a you have a PhD and you're internationally known integrative therapist, a group therapist, a marriage counselor, a relationship coach, teacher, author, and a speaker for over 25 years. You practice non-diagnostic, which means no labels, social, relational, holistic, person-centered, and cognitive behavioral therapeutics. You direct the I Am International, Inc., a personal development, education, and training organization, and you're a former Huffington Post contributor. You're currently working as a consultant with Men Stopping Violence, nonprofit organization, and you can be found sharing your daily thoughts on all social media platforms, which we will definitely plug at the end of this. So all that to say is an intro. You have a little bit of expertise on the male mindset in domestic violence. And I got a whole bunch of student loans. Don't forget to throw that in. I've been in school a long time. I try to tell people that the difference is I probably read more books and borrowed more money than the average person. That's all. <laughs> That's what, hey, man, that, that PhD comes with that heavy debt, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself, both personally and professionally, about what you're doing right now. Sure. So I've been in Atlanta for about 20 years. I'm born and raised in Chicago. Uh, I'm the father of four, the grandfather of one. I have a granddaughter. I have been doing uh, training and development my entire professional career. I started off as a classroom teacher, and now I serve as a lecturer, therapist, uh, a group counselor, and things of that nature, and a consultant for organizations, nonprofit organizations, my current one. Is with Men Stopping Violence, and that's a 38-year organization here in Atlanta that's directly focused on stopping uh, male violence against women and girls. And I think that's such a great, a great aspect and avenue to be taking in this, where as Heather and I founded Surviving to Thriving, part of what we want to do is kind of be a little bit different in this nonprofit space, where obviously the podcast is very different. But we want to have those taboo conversations about domestic violence. Nobody wants to talk about this, right? Right. And I think a lot of you look at like Susan G. Komen and the way she blew up the Susan G. Komen Foundation was through having the conversation about breast cancer. It's no longer a topic to be shy about. It's a topic that people can talk about. And that drew it to the forefront, which is what we're trying to do with domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And as a piece of that is 
why are men lashing out? Why do men feel the need to batter and be aggressive? And that's all forms. That's not just physical, but it's also psychological, which is a Correct. huge aspect to domestic violence. Correct. So at its core, <clears throat> and that's a huge question to ask to start off with, but at its core, where do you, where have you seen in your experience that that's coming from, from the male perspective? Great question, Zach. So what I have known from a general standpoint, I've really been able to focus by doing work with men stopping violence. So anybody, any man, any male who comes, who's affiliated with the organization must complete a six month, a 24 week course of, 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 of learning about uh, oneself. And uh, which is great because you cannot give what you don't have. And it's not about a good guy, bad guy. It's about the issue, domestic violence. Now, we know it happens in different forms. The statistics say the majority of it happens from men versus women and girls. Why do they do it? Men Stopping Violence has come up with three reasons. I totally agree. I use it. I go by it verbally, word for word. And there's three reasons why men use abuse, why men abuse women. The first one is, and I, the first time I shared this with my partner, she was like, really? The first reason is it actually works. Now, let me be clear. I'm not an advocate. I don't condone it. I don't work with men who's actively involved in domestic violence cases under no circumstances, even as a therapist. I do work with men, all of us, because we all have been a part of domestic violence in some form or fashion. I get into that. But the first reason why men abuse is because it works. Violence is the threat. It stops. It's a form of control. And men use it. Uh, mostly everybody does, but men in particular in this. It works. The second reason is... Men, we are taught to. We are taught. We learn ways by seeing other men do it. We learn ways to what we think is an attempt to control women in various ways. And that starts from our upbringing way back when. And the third reason, Zach, is, is because we can get away with it. Now, obviously, I don't mean serious domestic violence where you break the law and you go to jail. But overall, we get away with it. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Hypermasculinity, toxic masculinity, patriarchy being the number one driver, sexism, things of like that. So we get away with it. And I'll talk further about it. We hide it by choosing when, where, and to whom to do it. Because we all know, Zach, you, your background's in law enforcement. Yeah, we have men who abuse women. They don't abuse other men. <laughs> so it's not like they got an abuse problem. They clearly know who their target is, you know. So they can get away with it and they, they, they work hard. We are not ignoring it. I'm not justifying. I'm not condemning. From our research and the experience of the organization in close to 40 years, those are the three reasons why men abuse. It works. They're taught to. They can get away with it. Yeah, and I'd really love to hit on that first one, that it actually works. And that is a little bit of a flamethrower uh, <laughs> of a statement. It but is. realistically, when you look at it, I've never heard somebody put it in that fashion and, and frame it in that way. But it's actually, when, when you actually kind of like digest it a little bit, it's true. It really is true that it does work where it's it's not even coming from the kid that was bullied all his life that now wants to bully the smaller quote-unquote person right correct as i think a lot of people see it as the man just wants to be a bully because he can be <laughs> but i think it's more along the lines of you know you, you have an ego attached to things as a man you have that kind of that that old school 
I'm the breadwinner. Mm-hmm. She's the one that cooks. She's the one that yep. cleans. You have those like gender roles that we're kind of were taught from yep. back in the day, right? Yeah. But but when you talk about it actually working, why do you think it works? Do you think it's just that we're that convincing, that we're that overpowering? Where do you kind of see that drawing from? I actually see about 10,000 reasons that it actually works. Now, you mentioned some of it. Uh, a lot of it is systemic. Obviously, the average man is physically bigger. It's not in all cases that's the breadwinner, but we use different ways of controlling and abusive behaviors. And as men, if we don't, if one way don't work, we'll go to another way. Uh, because no one way continues to work, which is why controlling and abusive behaviors ultimately leads to violence. <laughs> See, this is the part that I really drive home with me. Controlling abusive behaviors, it starts off casually. It actually leads to violence because any tactic has a shelf life. So you start off in a relationship. It may start off as cutting her off, you know, verbiage or posturing or uh, withholding money you know, to get her to do or not to do, to say or not to say. It's used as a tactic for control. But once that runs its course, then as men, we infuse other ones. And as men, because of how society, patriarchy, sexism, racism, how it's designed, we got a number of tools to kind of pull from. So when we say it works, yeah, it's gut-wrenching when you hear it that way, but it actually does because we use controlling and abusive behaviors that lead to violence to control women to do, not do, say, not say. Uh, And we have a lot of ways that we do that. Uh, The funny thing is men, we, uh, men don't check other men in a lot of the subtle ways. It's what I want to drive home. Let's, I want to be clear, Zach, domestic violence when it comes to men or or gender-based violence from men abusing girls and women is not a woman problem. It's a men problem. And I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, which I think is where this conversation I wanted to end up, but you Mm -hmm. already hit it right there is men do not check other men. Right. And you look at it and a lot of what I focus on with my leadership side, my leadership podcast, that brand that I'm building is, accountability and ownership of action, right? That ownership doesn't necessarily mean yourself, but it also means others. You know, you should be able to go to your boy and say, Hey man, you're acting like a fool, right? Exactly. Stop, stop treating her like this. this, Knock it off. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. And I think a lot of it boils down to, and I kind of talked about a little bit, but I think most prevalently you're going to see the psychological aspect of domestic violence, where a lot of people think domestic violence is you punch her in the face, gave her a black eye, when realistically, more often than not, it's going to be that psychological abuse that you were talking about of the the control aspect of it, Yeah. right? So if you yep. hear your buddy saying, oh, yeah, I, I took away her allowance or her credit card or her whatever, so she couldn't go out with the girls because I don't trust her, Right. that's a pretty big indicator, right? That is. Absolutely. 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 And we, by not saying anything to our buddies, we are, in fact, condoning it, condoning it. I speak with men all the time. I give you another example. I speak with men and some of the things is just unbeknownst to us. So we all know barbershop, shop talk, locker room talk. Right. As men, there is a healthy aspect to that. Right. But we're conditioned to think it has to be degraded as if as men, we can't talk about how we view women as beautiful beings, as human beings who happen to be in the woman or female body as something that we admire, respect, enjoy. 
We think that locker room talk, when it comes to that, has to be down, dirty, disrespectful to kind of fit in with the guys. You and I can look and be like, she's beautiful. You'd be like, yeah, she's very beautiful. And keep it moving. We don't have to label her. We don't have to call her names. We don't have to say anything to her. <laughs> you know, and that's the part of that. So part of that reason is men, from my experience, we confuse accountability with control. We think accountability is is control, but it's actually support, right? So no man that I know wants to be held accountable because his, in his mind, accountability is a synonym for control. But if it was support, like, oh, God, I'd have got in a fight with my significant other. I'm supposed to go out and watch the game with Zach. I know get, Zach's going to get in my you-know-what. That's accountability. Like, I got to face my boy because he and I have a man code that we're holding each other accountable. Not only with domestic violence and relationships, spiritual financial and things of like that. But if I know that I got to you're my guy and I got to be straight with you and we're meeting up to watch the game and you're like, what's good? How's Charlie doing? How y'all doing? And I'm like, well, you know, I kind of had to call her a name or grab her because she didn't do. Then you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Two things. <laughs> Our evening is over. <laughs> I'm going to listen to you, but we're done. I'm not. Yeah, I want. Is she safe? Do I need to check on her? And so we, we need to do more things like that. We need to do more things like that. And I'm not suggesting that we wait till it get to that point, Zach. We need to do things like check in. Like, how you feeling, man? How's your money? How you doing physically? You're eating well? How's this uh, pandemic holding up? Things of like that. Because that causes us to lose control and then seek control with the very people who are close to us, who we say we love. And I think you just mentioned the epidemic and um, we're not quite sure when this episode is actually going to air, but we're recording it right at the end of March. And this is like week two of the quarantine slash lockdown. And from my experience in law enforcement, and I'm sure you can attest to this as well, when people are trapped together and there's no, you know, your, your daily routines thrown off, your separation that makes you a little bit fonder of each other at the end of the day is thrown off. Right. And even Heather and I, We've gotten into a couple spats just because now we're in each other's space 24-7. Absolutely. What would you recommend to kind of alleviate that during this time um, to maintain that, not necessarily routine, but maintain that flow that you would normally have before a lockdown? Right. So there's a number of ways. Uh, but the number one uh, uh, ultimate way is to really focus on self-care in a time like this is to everybody make an agreement to take care of themselves. Now, normally when we're in a relationship or the family, you know, I should say we have these roles, but now our roles have been redefined. So instead of struggling with our old definition of roles, we have to, as a suggestion, wake up with self-care. For example, I had you scheduled. I woke up early. My partner was still asleep. I came into my office. I put coffee on. I read my journey. Like I, like, I got up and took care of self. I had an appointment with you, so I needed to be ready. But I also needed to jumpstart my day long before she got up. So in the event that she's tipped off balance and she sort of barks at me at that, I'm taken care of to be like, okay, baby, I'm good. I don't have to go back to the number one reason of trying to control it because I know it works. I've taken good care of myself for the first time. I've been out two hours before she even got up. So that's one way. To get up with the intent of taking care of self, whatever that is, shower, journal, prayer, meditation, exercise, uh, banana, <laughs> coffee, 
anything so that you could make sure that you're at the cause of your day and not necessarily the effect. And one thing I just took out of that, in order to do that, you kind of have to be objective about yourself and your, your mindset, right? I'm very big on morning routines where I wake up, I have my three things of gratefulness that I write down in the mirror, and then I'm, I'm straight into the gym. Like I have to get that gym time. That's like my meditation time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say about that objectivity? I think that's difficult, especially even on like the leadership aspect that I normally speak on, leading oneself and having that self-mastery is usually way more difficult because it's hard to be objective about, am I being a jerk? Am I being an asshole? Am I being outwardly violent or abusive verbally? Mm-hmm. How would you like help those men see that objectivity to recognize it in themselves before it gets to that stage where they know to get themselves in the proper mindset? Right. It's funny. I got a text from a, a gentleman who I'm working with. So the best way for men, men who are in relationships or have any type of interaction with a significant other is to really be present to how they are responding and reacting. The number one indicator is is to be present enough to see how we're showing up for our partners. We know them well enough to get where we want out of them. Sometimes we got to take back and really be subjective to the point like, okay, so let me gauge this. Let me read the body language that. So that's one way that we can check in with our partners. And it doesn't always have to be a verbal check-in. You can kind of read their energy. You can look. Uh, I have a conversation where I'm like, how are we doing? How I'm doing? How are you doing? Those are my three questions. And so I ask men to be courageous enough, self-mastered enough where the ego works for you or not against you, and really check in if, in fact, that you are uh, uncertain with your partner. Your partner's going to tell you. I mean, she may even have a way of saying everything's good, but you know her well. The number one way to check in is to be present and see how how your partner's responding or reacting. And I think one thing that just as a man, when you said it, I it makes you think a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. And you said you have to be courageous. Courage is very heavily attached to an ego, right? Yeah. A lot of times it's hard to be humble enough to be courageous. Mm-hmm. So how would you kind of define courage in that aspect associated with an ego? Right. So courage shows up in different ways. So the ego, we know when it's not under control, it can really do damage. But it's also a good thing. I mean, sometimes you need to kick yourself in the butt and the ego really serves you. Like, I don't feel like going to gym. You, Zach, you and I know, like, it's easy to keep going than to quit <laughs> for us. I tell my friend, it's easy to keep going to quit. So I just keep going. It's easier to keep going. So courage is oftentimes being vulnerable. You know, courage is oftentimes kicking yourself in the butt. Courage is oftentimes doing things uh, in spite of your nervousness. Courage shows up differently for us. But one of the things that I did is denounce my old views of courage. Coming up in the hood in Chicago, like, that that's, that ain't courage. That's survival. You know that, Zach. You mean a lot. That ain't courage. It, I thought it was, but when it stopped being able to transfer over into other areas of my life, I was like, oh, they... They misled me on that. That's not courage. That's abuse. That's controlling and abusive behaviors. And so courage now is t- telling your significant others, hey, you know, give me a minute. I'm not doing, I'm, I'm actually pretty nervous. I'm actually pretty nervous. Or, you know, I'm worried about this pandemic. My finances is low. My waistline is growing. So I look at courage at 49. I'm 40. I just turned 49 this month. I see courage as being more of who I am as a human being 
than a guy in particular, just as a human being. Yeah, I really like that. I think that's a great way to put it in perspective for for guys to see it as uh, it's not about maintaining that hard stance, especially with your spouse, your significant right. other. You know, you're you're you have to maintain that vulnerability because who better to register and relate to you with that than your spouse? Absolutely. Right. And I think a lot of that has to deal with communication styles and how I'm communicating with you, but also how I'm receiving that communication. And Mm -hmm. I I know there's a wide range of different communication styles that different people say of different things, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) But how would you put that in your own words? Like what's your communication style? What are other types of communication style? And what does it entail to be like an active listener to receive that message that's being sent by the spouse? Correct. So the one of the things uh, to keep in mind as just a person of self-expression is that we all have different communication styles, even with siblings raised by the same parents. We all have different. And communication means, as you just mentioned, how you give off and receive, right? You know, kind meaning with, you know, communication in, 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 in terms of being able to receive and share. And so the part that really breaks down a lot of the relationships that I have experience with is the triggers and taking things personally. So for example, my partner has a distinct way of communicating and it may trigger some things that may have happened third grade, fourth grade, 12th grade. Uh, She don't know them. I don't even know them. But I hold, as men, sometimes we hold our significant others responsible for how we feel. So one rule that I teach men is don't get upset when you're feeling upset, if that makes sense. Like, don't get mad because you're feeling mad, meaning just be with the feelings. There's nothing to do once you get angry. I've seen, and I know you have in law enforcement, you've seen more lives being ruined in three seconds. <laughs> if they had taken three deep breaths, the life would, would totally have been different. Even totally. one, one deep breath would have been just... <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Because that's the the deep, the three deep breaths is the difference between reacting and responding. It gives you that space to be like, all right. So that's one thing to, in terms of communicating, being able to know that my partner communicates based on her cumulative experiences. They ain't got nothing to do with me, that it reflects her experiences and her conscious level. Just because it triggers me doesn't mean that he or she has done something wrong. So I have to do the work of my triggers long before the conversation gets started. That's the thing though. So if you know you've had an argument two weeks ago, your significant other went into an area you unresolved, you gotta do that work yourself. Cause you know you had that work long before you met her. You gotta do your work instead of making a, when we feel bad as men, typically Zach, somebody has to pay for that. That's, that's, that's kind of how, how we pay it forward. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Masculinity, uh, patriarchy, sexism. We get, we start feeling bad and it's like, let's do something. And none of us, Lots of people don't self-sabotage. They strike out this way. An interesting part that you've just brought up is like the trigger words and like that relational baggage from not just the spouse or the girlfriend, boyfriend relation, but even from when the first thing that came to my head is the person that can piss me off the most, the fastest is my mom because <laughs> she knows exactly that thing to say. And anytime I, I feel like I've ever gotten agitated with even Heather, it's, somebody else like my mom said something one way then heather said something kind of similar and it's like hang on now you're talking to me like my mama and there's that ego starts driving into it right exactly exactly i was gonna say a lot of that 
is avoiding those trigger words and understanding those trigger words, right? It is. It is. But beyond understanding, we have to recover. See, you know, we think that we get the theory and the knowledge around and that's it. That's a smidget of the awareness. It's recovery. It's all like any other thing. Once you declare you're an alcoholic, you got to go through the 12 steps and recover. You just can't be like, I'm an alcoholic. I'm good now that I've recognized it. The work has to be done afterwards. The, the work is afterwards. As your example, none of us have left the house, gotten married, or gotten in a relationship to be parented. <laughs> Mom, dad, we ain't do it. Not either. like We don't want to hear that. Like Anything that takes us there, we're like, whoa, you're not my mother. You're not my father. And so it, and it, 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 that's what we verbalize when it doesn't feel good. But when we need confidence support, it's sort of like, yeah, I like that. That's how mom used to do it, right? She used to fix my favorite meal. So we have it. It's very healthy and natural. It's only when it doesn't feel good. I share with men, you have to be courageous enough to sit with not feeling good. And you mentioned recovery. And I think that is... That's a deep word in this in this realm, especially. What would you recommend as that leading process, knowing the egos, knowing masculinity, knowing the male mindset? I think recovery triggers all of that. Talking about trigger words, recovery could be one of those trigger words for a lot of men. What would you say would be the best way? Would it be like therapy? I love masterminds in business. Would it be like a bro mastermind where it's just guys night, mm-hmm. but it's like themed? where it's talking about relationship type stuff? Like what, what forms of recovery do you recommend to people? I actually recommend any of them that's healthy and productive. And I say that because there's a number of group things. You mentioned them. There's masterminds, there's group therapy, there's individual therapy, there's workout buddies, there's prayer partners. There's a number of things. The good thing is we have so many to choose from. We don't have to copy anybody's recovery plan. We couldn't do it anyway. We just have to try a few things and see what works. But you are not, for me, I write down, I'm a writer. I go to the gym. I do brief breath work. I walk out. You know, I have those things. But they don't work. They work. They somewhere up in the 80s or the 90% in terms of effectiveness. But there are times where I just have to sit here and be with it. And so recovering is the process of saying, I know I got my tools. So I don't have to feel like I'm abandoning myself. But more importantly, I don't have to make anybody else pay. I don't have to make Charlie work overtime because I'm refusing to use one of my recovery tools. We have to try a bunch of things. And as you know, we plateau. You and I go, if we just do bench, like the chest is going to be like, okay, what else y'all got? So even the things that work, there's still a time frame where we have to put in more things. Um, So recovery is that more so commitment to the journey than being a stickler for what you're doing. Just commit to the recovery journey. Two months in, it may be this. Then you may be like, okay, I've outgrown the mastermind group. I need another one. Or I'm, no, I'm good with individual therapy. I'm going to group therapy. I'm not ditching any of it. I'm just kind of zeroing in on it. Yeah, and I think that a lot of the hot topic terminology these days are like life coaches. And I think that's kind of like blown out of proportion. Everybody's a darn life coach these days, right? But I think that's like a great resource to at least look toward where finding somebody that will listen to you judgment-free. And I think that's a big part that as men, we need to recognize for ourselves is that when our boy comes to us and talks to us about things, we need to be judgment-free. That way we can maintain that objectivity in that conversation. You know, we're not initially saying, Hey, 
you're being this way about things. I'm judging you for it. It's now here's the objectivity about how you're acting. And this is, I think would be the best way to move forward or something along those lines. What are your thoughts on that aspect? So it's funny. You just meant I just had a 47 minute conversation about the word judging in and of itself. So my partner's, responded similar to you like you know having a judgment free zone i'm not judging you're not judging and i challenged her to say we all judge (laughs) we all judge we cannot get away from being judgers the judging is not the problem the criticism behind the judging becomes the problem i need to make an assessment when you tell me if i hear something that you may have said not realizing i need to make a judgment on whether heather's in trouble or not i don't need to criticize you and it make it worse for her. But judging is my right. I judge whether I'm doing benching or back. I judge whether I'm doing coffee or water. The judging is not the problem. We, none of us, no exceptions. We judge. We do, we, that's how we do it. Using judgment as a criticism, as a put down is where we fall short at. I want you to judge me. I want you to judge me and be like, I think you're doing well when I'm like, man, I'm struggling, Jack. Uh, Zach, I want you to be like, no, dude, you good. Because you were here, now you're here. And I'm like, okay, thanks for that judgment. So yeah, I need you to make it. When I come to you, make an assessment for me. Don't use what I told you to criticize me. That's that's whole, That's a step further. But I definitely need you to be like, I think you're doing good, or I need to get in your shit. And you need to judge me to do that. But it doesn't take you to call my mom names, grab me in a- Headline. <laughs> that's the primary line. It's a judgment free zone. No, you're judging me. When I say something to you, you're like, you need to cut that hair nose out. Everybody judges. I'm good with the judgment. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm poking fun, but I think that we zero in on old words that keep us stuck in the old paradigm. When I share something with you, I need you to judge to give me the yay or the nay. Criticism, totally different. Abusive behavior, because I share my personal life with you, that's way past judgment. Yeah, I love and thank you for that clarification. The way you reframed that I think is awesome because that's a a great way to put it. You're right. We get stuck in this word or this role that we all think we should be in. And you, you kind of hit the nail on the head is that paradigm shift. You know, we have to have as men, we're going to have to have a paradigm shift in our culture as men mm-hmm. to get away from this growing epidemic of domestic violence, especially Mm -hmm. during times like now where it's like such a highlighted aspect of things and law enforcement days during the holidays, you always saw when people were together in groups stuck together, there was always an uptick around the holidays because people are in times like now where you're just together a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that paradigm shift is, is a great thing. Looking at, this might be a little bit of a flamethrower question, Okay. Um, because most of our audience is female on this podcast. So I think a lot of this is what I want. I want them to listen to this conversation and then bring in their significant other to listen to it as well. So the, you know, they can hear it from the men's perspective, like we're talking, but also other men can hear it to understand a little bit of that paradigm shift. But my flamethrower question is, what would you say to the female side of the relationship about understanding the male reaction, you know, sometimes I think the, like Heather, she leads me coming back from the deployment, just as a moment of transparency, coming back from the deployment, 
I was deployed most of 2019. Mm. And as an infantryman, there's a certain way we do things, right? And she had to be a leader in our relationship to guide me through anxiety. She had to guide me out of the military mindset, back into the husband and family mindset. And I think it took a lot of objectivity on her part to be able to do that, where if I said something in my military mindset, she didn't take offense to that you know, and immediately react, you know, so she responded. She's like, look, I know you're still stuck in Afghanistan a little bit, but this is how I interpreted that. What would you recommend to like the female side of that, that are listening to this about, they know their significant other is pushing out that anger. What would you recommend to them to help lead their significant other into better communication style? Great, great question. Uh, a couple of ways I'd like to respond to this. First and foremost, I want to be clear that it's not the woman's responsibility to create a space for men to work through their emotional shit, period. It's just not. If we're fortunate enough to have a beautiful leadership, well-solid spouse like Heather, you, you already know you're on a bonus level. Oh, I outpunted my coverage <laughs> on that one, man. I, I know it. Right. I know so, it. So that that's the, the the gift from God, like really, like that that's the ultimate partnership, the leadership ability, and I think all women have it to agree. What I'm offering is still not their responsibility to create a space while we work through our stuff, leading us because part of leader is you following. Like she can't strong arm you just because you came back from deployment, but to step up on behalf of your family, your your covenant, yes. But in the midst of that, I think oftentimes women, and from my experience, they think creating and allowing that space and sometimes jumping into the leadership role means that they need to take abuse behind it. And that's where some of the challenges come. Like, okay, so I'm a leader and he's still in his whatever stressful state he is. So now you have blurred your own boundaries and said, well, he's just stressed. No, he's not, he's not to punch you in the face. I don't give a damn how stressed he is. <laughs> You know, that's not a responsibility to take punches of him because he lost his job. No. So what what I want to make clear is it's not a woman's responsibility to create a space and do our work for us. Now, kindness, humanistic stuff, kindness, compassion, we already know that's a given. Is it okay for a woman to help lead us? Yeah, that's what we have. Them. Yeah, whether that's leadership from uh, Heather's perspective or somebody calling men stopping violence. In some cases, as you know, the public police if they feel threatened. Like, I'm not trying to necessarily get you locked up, but I ain't trying to die either. And so, <laughs> so not really clearly understand, I do more work with women about boundaries and values. Boundaries and values. And this usually brings clarity to them. Like, you can do whatever you want with your significant others as long as your boundaries are clear and safe and he has not violated your values. There's a lot of women, they, they tough love. They can lead even their tough men. But there's some women who, based on their own values, it just doesn't. So ultimately, not a woman's responsibility. It is her uh, right to seek safety. It is her right to call his, his homeboys, his dad, law enforcement, anything, if she feels threatened. But I want to make it clear that any time a woman feels that her boundaries and her values have been violated, that she is not creating the space for her man to heal. That's not her role. Yeah. Phenomenal question. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Thank phenomenal you for that. answer. Your phenomenal answer to the question. <laughs> Your question um, is phenomenal. Thank you for that, man. 
Well, I think that's just a, such a great point to make because I think too often we sacrifice ourselves in a relationship to maintain the peace. You know, you walk around on eggshells and sometimes you will sacrifice that piece of yourself for what you see as quote unquote, the greater good. Mm -hmm. But that's where that blurred line comes in. So I, I love that you put that context on it because I think that's so key where a woman can lose herself in that relationship. Men too. I'm mm -hmm. not saying it's just women be as a weaker species by any means. Mm -hmm. I'm saying in relationships, it's easy to lose yourself in the relationship mm -hmm. because you, you want to give so much, but I think having those clearly defined boundaries, that's amazing. I think that's really key as a man, or I guess as, as the spouse, would you share those boundaries with your male counterpart to say, Hey, these are my boundaries. And if you cross them, that's non-negotiable. Right. Right. So great, great question. So lots of people are not clear about boundaries. Most people who don't have boundaries also exceed other people's boundaries. So boundaries in a genetic, what I call a spiritual term that I often use to describe this boundaries is that imaginary line where I could still be me and have you in my life and not have that blurred. <laughs> like I can still be me and have you as a part of my life and that life. So when you come over here and keep me from being me and doing the things I want, then you've exceeded my boundaries and vice versa. Now, here's the beautiful thing about boundaries. We, they like being on the 20-yard line. The mere fact that we have the line, we make adjustments. We can move the market here or here. Without boundaries, it's like this. At least with boundaries, I'm like, okay, Zach stress. He just got back home. I'm going to ease up just a little bit. But I still have my line. So I'm here now because I'm giving you space. I have it to give. <laughs> I have space to give now that you're back in the States. But I ain't got to be like, let me take everything Zach's throwing at. No, I'm like, here's boundaries under normal circumstances. These not normal. Even now during the pandemic, I'm, I got new boundaries. So I still have that line where I can do me and still allow you to be a healthy, significant part of my life. That's fantastic, man. And I think that's uh, such a great point to kind of wind this down on because I think that was <laughs> the biggest value add right there is those boundaries and maintaining that. A couple questions I want to get out there for resources for men. Mm -hmm. What are some books you've read that you would really recommend? Audio, uh, podcasts, anything along those lines that you've used as resources in your workings that guys can go find and learn more about this type of thing? So I have tons of books. What I offer to men uh, is, is a couple of things. I actually offer every man to at least look into Men Stopping Violence as an organization and consider taking, if not that class, the 40-week, any type of family violence class, first and foremost, because I think the lack of awareness is where we set ourselves up. As you mentioned, like, like I have a list of controlling uh, and abusive behaviors that fall under different. Every man I know, all of my boys, my college buddies, guys I grew up with professionally, I don't know anyone who says, yeah, I punched a woman in her face. I do know most of them say, I've never hit a woman. My mother, my dad told me I'm not abusive. You are. We all are. <laughs> We've all done it. And so, but when I explain to them that, like, get the knowledge so that you 
could be able to protect yourself and your family. So there's, here's a list that I got from Men Stopping Violence, and I'm happy to share this with y'all. I could scan an email over it. It just lists physical violence and psychological and economic violence. And so men need to go back as a class so that we can hold ourselves accountable. For example, let's say we all, all out. You, me, you, I'm, I'm with Charlie, uh, Zach, you and Heather, we out watching the game. And I, I keep cutting Charlie off. Like Every time she says something, I'm like it. Yeah, I didn't grab her. I'm paying the bill. I still got my arms around her, but I'm subtly taking shots at her. And you say, Kurt, let's take a walk to the best room. Like, dude, you good? Like, I know she keep cutting her off. You keep trying to use logic and reasoning and everything. You keep questioning her. You keep criticizing her. You know, I just wanted to point that out to you. And I'm like, oh, oh, you real? I didn't even realize that I've been up all night or my bills are late. My mom's sick. So those things that men don't. So, so without being checked, then it becomes criticism. So unless your other man, so you know controlling abusive behaviors. Not, oh, that's just how Kurt is. As long as he don't punch Charlie, he's still my boy. No, Zach says, dude, <laughs> like, knock it off. So it's those things that I tell men to hope because it's, when you think of your daughter, your goddaughter, your niece or nephew, you want men, yeah, you definitely you don't, I don't want nobody punching them, but you also want men to know what they actually are doing. I don't want my any of my daughters driving with a guy who gives the finger to every driver who cuts him off. And then two years later, she like, Dad, he called me. He, he said, F you. Well, you've been watching him give finger <laughs> to other drivers. <laughs> I need one of his homeboys to be like, dude, when we riding together, you need to chill. Because that controlling and abusive leads to, that's the thing, leads to other stuff. So I know that was a drawn out response, but those are the, some of the things. Take that class, any family violence, check in with yourself. You know, most of us are following the blueprint or how our dads, uncles used to uh, respond to women. Check in with yourself. I'm hesitant about doing book titles because I, it's a million of them out there. I tell men, this is the funny thing I tell men, write your own damn book, <laughs> like for real. Like get to a point where you start from here, you're on your recovery and you here. Yeah, like like really check in. But a good start is take the course so that you can know the three reasons why men abuse. So that you That's, can know, like, yeah, not giving her allowance because you wanted to tell her to quit hanging out with her homegirls. That's controlling. Like, dude, knock it off. We need men need that part. That part. So, absolutely. And, and let's talk a little bit more about the foundation. Um, where is it located? What's contact information for it? Mm -hmm. Where are the classes held? So on and so forth. Right. So it's stop Men Stopping Violence. It's in Decatur. You can Google Men Stopping Violence. Once you put Men Stop, it's going to come in in the search engine. So Men Stopping Violence, uh, a 38-year organization. It's 2785 Lawrenceville Highway, Decatur, Georgia. The phone number is 404-270-9894. But in a nutshell, it's menstoppingviolence.org. They have some of the best trainers, instructors, classes, just for knowledge purposes. I think any pastor, any law enforcement, any uh, coach, anybody need at least, and they have a variety of classes. It doesn't have to be the 24. They have men conversations. Just call them, check in. They have articles on the website that you can, we can, men. if men stop, start there. Understand patriarchy, sexism, racism, how that actually zeroes in, how that trickles down to your household. That's another thing I want to throw in. We have to know how racism, patriarchy, masculinity, sexism, 
politicalism <laughs> trickles down to our household. You said it now. So the government shuts everything down. You're crammed in the house with your significant other. Now y'all fight. Yeah, because the system trickled down to your household. And the way, one way to get that is to check in with men stopping violence. Or call me directly. If you call me, I'm still going to direct you back to men stopping violence. <laughs> so this is a way of men honoring themselves in a nutshell, Zach. I love it, man. I think it's a great organization. I love the mission. And unfortunately, this is one thing I was so excited about the introduction to you is unfortunately, this is a conversation that's not had. And there are limited resources that I've seen where people are not approaching it in this fashion. So definitely check out Men Stop Your Violence. Everything you just talked about, the organization, we'll make sure it's in the show notes. So it's quick and easy and accessible. If anybody wants to reach out to you, directly talk to you, follow content you put out, email, phone number, whatever you're willing to provide, go ahead and give that to us. Sure. So anybody can call me directly. If you Google me, my actual number is going to come up. So my direct number is 770-885-2009. That comes to me. I can be found on Psychology Today, uh, Huffington Post, Instagram, and I am Dr. Kurt, Facebook, Dr. Curtis D. Jasper, Twitter, Dr. Curtis D. Jasper. I'm all over everywhere for one reason to serve as a resource i mean i actually like serving you know through mediums like this podcast but for one reason i want to remain in what i consider to be in teacher mode obviously i'm a student but so i, I don't ask anybody to do anything i'm not asking you to talk go check out men stop violence without checking it out <laughs> i've been through i've been caught up in domestic violence in my personal life right? There's paperwork and trails on me. Everything's public record. I'm not ashamed to say it, but I'm doing my work. And so I can tell men on both sides, I'm, but I'm not here to play. So follow me, you know, whether it's through group or personal, anything, just reach out to me. If you resonate with anything that I've said, or hopefully the audience members have resonated with me and you, and they can call us both. But that's what I really want. I want them to both invite us and we stand up. <laughs> Two ball guys with full beards saying, look, we're here to do some serious work. So ultimately, man, I'm so happy to be a part of that. But seriously, man, anybody follow me online. I'm happy to answer any question, any way I can be of service. Do not hesitate to let me know. Yeah, I think a uh, crossbreeding would be fantastic. <laughs> Two bald bearded and beautiful men teaching <laughs> exactly. other men. Exactly. You know, what more could you ask for? Exactly. <laughs> and push come to shove, if we need to speak today, listening behind closed doors, we got that background too. Nah, they too easy. Anyway, right. Exactly. That's awesome. Well, Kurt, <laughs> I appreciate all the time and value presented to our audience. And thank you so much for all of this. And I definitely look forward to that crossbreeding of brands here in the near future. I'm honored to be a part of it and to give you a lot. I know I haven't met Heather, but to give her my regards and I look forward to working with you guys. I'm really excited. Thank you so much for having me. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O thriving ATL, or online at 2thriving.org.